Hello, and welcome to a new episode of Funnelocity, the B2B podcast that brings you real talk around different strategies that can help you build a high-performance sales and marketing funnel. I'm Enrico, president of Market One, and your host. For today's episode, we're taking a look at one of the most commonly asked and even perhaps over-asked questions in B2B marketing, and one that ties in closely with the name of our podcast. Is the funnel dead? Or are we just trying to do too much with it? To look into this hotly disputed topic, I'm joined by two of my colleagues from Market One, Jenny Commisford and Mary Kleinsorgan. Jenny is a digital strategist at Market One and has just rejoined us after a three-year spell on the client side. She has over 10 years experience in marketing operations and demand generation. When she's not working, she's hanging out with her husband and her two terriers, Jack and Scarlett. Welcome, Jenny. Thanks, Enrico. Glad to be here. Mary's been with Market One for over six years and has over 15 years of deep, deep expertise in MarTech and demand generation. Outside the office, Mary enjoys tending to her succulent garden of 200 plants and enjoys the great outdoors with her husband and her dog, Monty, in beautiful Colorado. Welcome, Mary. Thanks, Enrico. Right. So let's start, I guess, in the obvious place here. Uh, with me asking both of you, you know, is the funnel dead or are we just trying to do too much with it? Perhaps, Mary, you want to start us, you want to start us off? Um, I mean, the funnel's certainly not dead. Um, I mean, it's, it's evolved and much more dynamic now. So, um, you know, obviously the way customers buy has certainly changed. So your traditional funnel um, is not as, as linear. It um, you know, everyone doesn't start at the top of the funnel and, and move through from one stage to the next. It's more like a revolving door now where everyone can come in at different stages, exit at different stages. So I, I think they, our approach to this needs to be much more fluid and dynamic to allow for that. Um, but then also the, the funnel is, is more of a, a tool that uh, it's more of an internal tool for sales to use to, to try and track that handoff between marketing and sales. Um, I think the intent was originally to, to be an external tool to define how the customer moves from one journey to the next, but it's really, um, really at the end of the day, it's just more of an internal tool for tracking that handoff, um, for tracking lead conversions, to track velocity from one stage to the next. But as far as a marketing tool is concerned, that's where you have to start factoring in, um, you know, other, other avenues, other frameworks, other segments to, uh, to understand where someone is, how do you shape your messaging? Um, you know, are my, my contacts um, actively moving through the funnel? Are they uh, becoming dormant? Are they becoming stale? So it's just, it's not a tool that is meant to be used on its own. That's yeah, great. definitely. Oh. Yep. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, Jenny. Just go ahead. Jump, just jump in. Yeah. Sorry, Enrico. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, listening to Mary talk, like the, the thing that's coming to my head is it, it just, it reinforces bad behavior amongst marketing. I think we, um, it was the basis for marketing and sales alignment for the longest time. Like you've got to, you've got to, create mutually agreed upon definitions of what an MQL is and what an SQL is and all of these things. And, and um, you know, now you've got 
director boards and C-level suites that, you know, all they want to see is that funnel and they want to know, you know, how many MQLs be created, how many opportunities be created, what are your conversion rates look like? And so the marketer becomes singularly focused on, on driving those numbers as opposed to really truly trying to meet the, the customer or the prospect where they are in their journey and just being really closely tied to to how the customer experiences the brand and, and their experience with the company as they move through their purchase, purchase decision. Um, so yeah, I think it's, you know, to Mary's point, it is not dead. It's not, it's not something that we can likely get away from. I think it is certainly dynamic and every company has to determine kind of what their, their funnel needs to look like, but there needs to be some recognition that it is not the the live and die um, construct that that marketing should live by, but rather, um, you know, one piece, one tool in the tool belt, um, and then in terms of actually engaging customers um, effectively, there may be better frameworks um, or segmentation capability to to address that. So it's interesting that you both, you both kind of looking at the funnel through a few different lenses. You're looking at through certainly sales's lens, which I think is the traditional view of the funnel. It used to be called the sales funnel for, 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 for good reason. And I get the sense that, yeah, that, that seems to work well. Um, however, as you move up funnel up to the kind of what marketing is doing and perhaps there's, then there's weaknesses in, the, in using the funnel as a model uh, and perhaps we can explore other things. But I guess one, one thing I'd say is, which is echoing, I think, your point, Mary, from uh, earlier, which is it, it, it definitely is a great way for, uh, for teams to, of sales and marketing teams to align on those kind of KPIs, those SLAs, um, you know, lead definition, lead stage definition. And this is obviously an area that Market One plays a critical role in with our clients and ensuring that the the leads that we perhaps uncover or identify or either we're you know, identifying them through outbound calling or qualifying them through marketing tactics, that those are actually handing off in a, in a, um, you know, in a fluid way to sales and that there's no, um, and, or handing back, I should, and, and also handing back. So handing back, sorry, handing off to sales and, and back, uh, back to marketing for further nurturing. Uh, so I feel like those, you know, from that stage further down, what I'm hearing is that this, the, the funnel serves a very critical purpose uh, from an internal reporting perspective uh, and alignment. Uh, but let's, let's explore what you're also both saying, which is for, you know, on the marketing side, the fact that, you know, when, you, when marketing is looking to engage accounts uh, and contacts within those accounts, the, you know, the funnel you know, it's quite not fit for purpose there. So, um, Mary, Mary, do you want to start us off on, on, on this one? No, but one of the gaps with the, with your traditional funnel is that, um, it just doesn't take it far enough for marketing. So if you take, you know, further down the funnel, a, a purchased segment, uh, as an example, 
um, you know, there's only so much that marketing can do with that. It's not taking into consideration, well, someone who is a brand new customer, you're certainly going to market to them differently than someone who is more of a loyal customer who has um, previously purchased um, and even communicate to them differently from someone who may have purchased in the past, but maybe has not purchased recently. So that's why the, the traditional funnel is not go going to assist marketing in that area. It's really where you have to break that down a little bit further into these sub-segments to understand, all right, well, are they reaching the point where they're ready to speak with Tela or speak with sales for a follow-up? Or maybe at some point, have they been sent over for follow-up and now they've grown stale, now they've become dormant. So that's where you can align, uh, you can break down the the funnel stage is a little bit further to understand, right, who's actively moving through, who's starting to become stale, who is dormant, and then aligning your messaging to those sub-segments. Maybe I can ask, I can ask Jenny the same question, you know, if, if obviously if journeys are non-linear and the funnel perhaps obviously is not the answer to help marketers engage with kind of that, uh, which, with what turns out to be a much more fluid process, where you know what what can we do to solve those the, these issues that you've highlighted yeah i mean i think um the biggest thing and we've already been kind of talking around it is one recognizing the fact that um purchase decisions are not made in a step one step two step three uh you know clean sterile environment um there's a lot of outside uh influences you know budgeting cycles didn't we didn't hit you know goal last quarter some unexpected expense that showed up procurements got a new you know thing up their butt and they you know and they they're gonna add another month worth of of uh of of vetting you know before we can make a make a decision and you know the reality is is that um the the buying journey is is really in the purchaser's hands now we've all been talking about it for a long time in the new digital world with covid it's even even more so that you know folks have so much information at their fingertips and that they you know they're really gonna come to us on their own terms um, choose when to engage with us, when to get information from us versus others and um, other resources. And you just, you always have to, um, you have to be there and you have to be ready. And the funnel just kind of tries to treat it like an assembly line, which, which doesn't really, really work. So, um, I mean, you know, this Enrico and Mary at Market One, what we try to do is we actually try to create, um, you know, through technology and process um, the ability to really, you know, listen, put out feelers, if you will, um, to understand truly what's going on with a given contact or account. So, you know, if they engage for a period of time, it's like, ooh, we've got, you know, we've got some intent, we've got some interest, how do we capitalize on this? But then if they go dormant for some period of time, well, now we've got to We've got to try to re-engage them, and and how is the you know how is the CFO interacting in relation to, you know maybe one of their direct reports that's doing more of the the research, so they're showing up more actively on the radar, um, and really creating. I mean, at the end of the day, it's just a segmentation model, um, just like the funnel is, 
Um, but it's, you know, it turns it on its head in terms of, you know, really trying to be focused on how the customer is behaving and how we should react to that as opposed to trying to kind of force them through our prescribed um, list of stages. So um, certainly something that can be done in some degree with folks, typical tech stacks, you marketing automation, CRM, um, you really get to, to, to next gen capability if you're able to pull in, um, you know, a, a, a BI stack or CDP, those are the new, the new fancy, fancy uh, tech that everybody's talking about. But um, again, it's not, it's not a replacement for the funnel, but it is probably a more effective, useful tool for, for the marketer who's trying to make sure that buyers are educated um, and progress in their intent and their interest towards a sale. So I guess what I'm, what I'm hearing is we need a better framework to drive superior customer engagement. And through that engagement, we can obviously deliver better, a better customer experience of our, you know, the buyers, if you will, through their, through their buyer's journey. Um, so let's see if we can paint, paint a bit of a picture for our listeners. Um, obviously as a podcast, uh, we'll see, if, if we, we'll see what we can do to, 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 to make that visual come through. But if you, if we look at, and we talk, we're talking a lot about the customer journey, uh, and, and the kind of the flaws of using or the, yeah, the, really the, the, the fact that using the funnel is not really fit for purpose in order to drive create customer engagement programs. But broadly speaking, when we look at a customer journey, we're really talking about engaging in B2B, it's really about, initially it's account engagement and obviously personas within those accounts or buying units within those accounts. But let's just stick to the, at the account level initially. And if we're, we're, where we're trying to track perhaps accounts that are uh, in our target market, right in our total addressable market, um, that perhaps are not engaging with us, right? Or they're, they're still unknown, if you will, to, to our brand. And we want to get them through this cycle, this customer journey of unknown to known, known to engage, perhaps engaged into an active purchasing cycle. Um, and I think that's where that purchase cycle can then kind of dovetail with the, with the funnel and, and the reporting and the SLAs between sales and marketing. Um, and then once they become a customer, hopefully they can turn into uh, repeat customers and advocates. Now that's all great, but at any point along that journey, right, from unknown to known, known to engage, engage to in you know into a purchasing cycle to and then to repeat orders and 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 act, um, advocates, they can obviously drop they can drop out, right? They become they become inactive, disengaged. Uh, and I think that's really where the funnel, you know, and that's why the funnel is shaped the way it's shaped as well, by the way, right? But and it's it's and it's it's in being able to track those that that kind of disengagement and um, when they become when when a, let's say a prospect becomes dormant or a customer be, becomes dormant, and then trying to then recycle them and put programs in place uh, and and reengage with those individuals. So what I'm hearing is that. The, you know the frameworks that we're that we can perhaps bring to bear allows us. Uh, it's a much more dynamic, to use your term, uh, Mary, from from you know earlier, uh, opportunity to really understand where is you know where is my uh, customer base and prospect base, 
um, you know, within the within that customer journey, but then also within that journey, are they how active or inactive are they? Jenny, do you want to react to that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think um, you know, done well, where you're able to to who's who's active, who's been qualified, who's a customer, who's at risk, where you know where folks are falling out, um, then it becomes very easy well i don't want to say very easy it becomes much more clear on how you should activate against that given segment or that given audience um it becomes it's very prescriptive at that point in designing your programs i mean you can really activate you know all of your channels assuming that the person is known and in your database obviously there's going to be some subsection of your your TAM that is not, but you are, you are still going to, you know, you're going to be able to activate your paid social, your retargeting, your email, your, your tele-team. Um, you know, it can be very, it's kind of, you know, pick your own adventure every day. We come in and we look at the segmentation and we say, okay, where do we, you know, who do we want to tackle today? Um, it becomes, you know, you can set KPIs around it. Um, you know, we like the, the intent of this program is to move X percent from, you know, the dormant after being previously engaged stage back to back to engaged, for example. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it's, it is certainly um, a worthwhile, worthwhile tool and does a bit better um, at achieving at achieving the, the really the, the true goals of a marketer, which is, you know, that engagement and education. So how would we how would we actually go about putting something like this in place? Perhaps Mary, Mary could you uh, could you speak to that? Well, I think first it's about just setting expectations, or um, yeah, I guess acknowledging that when you're when you're distributing your database across the buyer journey, across the the funnel, across all of these sub segments, that you can't expect to have every category um, be well populated. But the beauty of this framework is it's just a starting point. It's laying this data foundation out to enable an optimal customer experience in the future. So it's going to evolve over time. And if you don't have a lot of data, if you don't have the, the right data that fits within each category, that's totally okay. This is a starting point to understand what does my database distribution look like? How do I define each subsegment? How do I define what the, the buyer journey looks like? And then you just evolve over time. Jenny? Yeah, I mean, I would say setting expectations is absolutely, absolutely key. Um, I, I think the, you know, the, the first step beyond that is just digging into your data. Um, recognize, like, making sure you understand your, your system integrations really well, making sure that you have a good grasp and feeling of um, your profile completeness on your contact records, your activity tracking, um, you know, really just starting to try to make sense of it um, and map it all out. Um, you know, 
back to the whole setting expectations thing, the likelihood is, is that you're going to uncover some setbacks. Um, you know, maybe something isn't tracking that you thought it was, or you weren't collecting a, a key field that you need to really be able to define these segments well. Um, so it, you know, it needs to be, as we've discussed in evolution, you start out with what you can, you know, it might just be as simple as recognizing, okay, what section of my database is active and what's inactive and treating people, you know, context differently based on which of those two buckets they sit in or, or even, you know, it didn't, it doesn't seem like it would be a challenge, but, but if you can actually identify who your customers are, like down to the, not at the account level, but like at the contact level, like being able to, you know, just treat them differently than you treat your prospects. I mean, these are, there's layers of granularity that you can, you know, add in to the segmentation model over time as the tracking becomes available. So I think definitely getting, digging into your data, having an, a desired end state, even if it changes over time, but at least having it mapped out of like what you want that model to look like. So you can start, um, you know, implementing and fixing the things that you need to do to get to it. Um, you know, we can go ahead and, and make the plug, but make sure that you have either people internally or a partner who, um, you know, who really understands how these tech stacks work, how these tools interact with one another, have, you know, have experience with, with, um, you know, understanding and activating against the B2B buyer's journey um, to kind of help guide you, guide you along the, the, the path. But, um, you know, good news is, is that it can evolve over time. It's forever going to be useful and, you know, built the right way. When you, when you buy new technologies, you can plug them in and, and layer that, that insight into, into the model. Well, one thing is clear and that's that data, it all starts with the data. So, and Jenny, earlier you mentioned, you know, you threw out CDP uh, in order to kind of unify the data, the data um, that uh, that you might have on an, on an account uh, across your different uh, different I guess data sets, but is can we maybe just quickly talk about whether you know does this require a lot of data work outside of existing tools traditional tools and I'm thinking about whether you know CRM and, and marketing automation platforms does it you know do you need to build a data lake big data lake or a CDP in order to make this work? Well, certainly having a, a data lake, a, a data um, warehouse is, is ideal to have all of your sources connected and centrally located so that you can start to develop these segments and even integrate them back into MAP, back into CRM. But that's not, well, it's ideal, but it may not be realistic for all organizations. So uh, quite a few organizations don't have a data lake, a data warehouse to be able to do all of these, um, to, to create this rules engine to craft all those segments. So this is, the, the beauty of this framework is that it's platform agnostic. You can build it within your, your map. You can build it within a CRM tool. You can even build it outside of that, even if you have something as simple as um, you know, a SQL database or even Excel, you can even build this out on. Um, so it doesn't require a fancy tool to be able to build this. Um, you just need to be able to map out what, how you're defining each segment, how you're defining the, the journey. And then from there, you can 
you can update your, your map, you can leverage rules in your CRM system to help calculate that, to help. It's, it's similar to a lead scoring, when you're configuring a lead scoring model, whether that's Eloqua, HubSpot, Marketo, um, you're configuring these rules and these segments and filters um, based on someone meeting that criteria, you're going to update a stage or based on meeting that criteria, you're going to update a sub-segment. Um, so that's really no different. And again, you don't need fancy tools to start out doing this. In an ideal state, um, having that, that separate um, data entity doing all of this calculation for you is ideal only because typically in a CDP, in a data lake, you have a variety of different sources, not just map and CRM, but it's, it's beyond that. It's um, your CMS, it's um, you know, perhaps any web tracking that you're doing. So you have additional sources that are factored in within this database where you can get much more sophisticated with your segment definitions. And then through automation, now you can actually cast those segments within that data entity and then push that information back into your map, into your CRM, um, into your, your web tool to create this, uh, this singular view. Well, I guess our listeners are going to be happy to know that they can leverage their existing tools and they're not going to have to make massive investments in, uh, in new data, data lakes or, or data platforms. Um, but now with, uh, I guess with this, in, this framework, which enables some pretty clever stuff, um, maybe Jenny, I can ask you, what, what are the, you know, what are the, what are, what are the benefits of it? I mean, what are the things that really we can all of a sudden uh, enable uh, by using this approach? Yeah, so I, I mean, I think some of it does depend on whether you're building in a CDP type environment versus versus within your map or your CRM. Um, you know, obviously one of the, the, the big benefits is that you're able to provide a level of personalization to your customers. Um, because you know where they really sit in their journey and and how they've been engaging and what they've been engaging with. Um, you know, if, if you are limited to your map and CRM, then you're doing that through email, you're doing that through um, sales outreach, you're potentially, you know, a lot of ABM platforms now integrate with Salesforce. And so you can you know, create segmentation and execute, um, you know, display advertising or web personalization um, through those platforms, if you get, you know, really fancy and, and actually develop the segmentation in a CDP with an activation that can integrate with your activation layers. So your, your trade desks, your media, you know, media companies, um, your, your even, you know, paid social, um, campaign builder platforms and those types of things. Um, you know, then it becomes even more sophisticated and you can just execute, you know, really personalization in a multi-channel and, and scalable way. Um, the other thing that I would say, and, and I know we talked about how the, the funnel is good for sales and marketing alignment, um, but I think this, this framework can be really powerful um, as a tool to partner with sales on as well. Um, I think, first of all, like companies more and more now are recognizing that 
um, there isn't like this clear handoff from marketing to sales. It's not like marketing owns the prospect up until a certain point and then you know, they pass it off and they don't have anything to do with the person or the account anymore. And now it's on sales, you know, sales laps to deal with. Like there's a recognition that it's a bit more of a ping pong match in terms of how sales and marketing um, really attack prospects and accounts. And so this model can be really powerful even in partnering with them on how marketing and sales together want to to tackle certain seg segments and sub-segments of the model. Um, if no other reason, it's it's also, you know, pretty intuitive and easy to understand, like the account, you know, the person's either engaged or they're not. They're, you know, they've, they're a customer or they're not. They're a loyal customer or they're not, you know, it's very like the, the, the labels themselves are, are easy to understand. And so it can be powerful just in even conveying um, what marketing's up to and how they're moving the needle uh, against, you know, against the framework. Um, and I think it, and it, provides a lot of insight into the buyer journey because what you don't get with the funnel is you don't really understand not without a massive amount of over engineering like how many times is somebody re-entering and exiting and where are they re-entering and where are they exiting because i know you've even you know you've mentioned enrico like that people fall out of the funnel, but they don't all, when they enter back, they don't always enter up at the top. Like sometimes they come in as a marketing qualified lead right away, or sometimes they come in through Tela or, you know, and, and I think the framework just does a much better job of allowing you to understand where people are dropping out when they're, where they're coming back in. Um, and it can, rec it can identify um, gaps, you know, for instance, in a previous role recently, we, we built out a bit of a, you know, similar um, customer journey model. Granted, it was at the account level, um, but we realized that we were, you know, requalifying the same account like three, four times in a year. Um, and, you know, that very quickly, you know, bubbled up to us and sales leadership as, as something doesn't seem right there. And so, you know, it provided, it provided additional insight for us to, to, you know, address issues and gaps and really, you know, um, improve efficiencies and, and quality of the, the customer experience also. Sounds like an amazing framework delivering so much value across the organization. Thanks for that. Uh, thanks for that, Jenny. And now maybe just to summarize, Mary, I'll ask you, you know, tell me why this is the way forward. Well, I mean, this is, this is the path forward because this is truly enabling that, that customer first, customer centric approach. Like as Jenny had just said, it's, it's a framework that allows you to personalize that experience and allows you to, to deliver a much more dynamic um a dynamic customer experience but it's also this foundation for for serving other models so if you think about predictive modeling prescriptive analytics next best action having your database um having your database distributed within this framework is going to to help inform well based on how someone is reacting or not engaging then factoring in predictive and prescriptive um, helping to inform well what's 
you know, how do we automate that that follow up action? How do we follow? How do we automate that um, that follow up message? Brilliant. Thank you, Mary. Well, I guess you've heard it here. The funnel isn't dead. It's just evolved into a sleeker, more effective framework. So thank you, Jenny. Thank you, Mary, for an inspiring discussion. Great. Thank Thanks, you, Enrico. Enrico. Definitely Thanks, enjoyed it. And thank you, as always, to our listeners. To find out more about Market One and the Customer Journey Framework, and to listen to more episodes of this podcast, please visit marketone.com forward slash funnelocity. 